0: lead others and never surrender
1: it is time to begin seeking excellence what's going on everybody this is Nathan Crankfield and we are back with uh basically part 2 of this anti excellence little series that we got going on and so it's kind of anti excellence kind of basically talking about what does mediocrity look like in today's world, right? And so if you don't pursue excellence or pursue greatness in your own life, you will just coast along and become average, right? And in certain times, and certain cultures, right? In different places, sometimes average looks a lot better than it does at other times and other places, you know? So sometimes what is considered average can be pretty, pretty solid, right? If you were an average Spartan warrior, Or if you're an average Navy SEAL, let's say, um, that's still a lot better than, you know, the average general American, right? You're going to be in a lot better shape, probably a lot more disciplined, right? If you're an average uh, Benedictine monk, you probably pray more than other people. But we're just talking about average Americans, and we're going to talk about average Catholics as well. And so if you drift in the United States of America, you know that you're not going to end up very successful, very fulfilled, living a life of purpose, and uh, definitely not excellent, right? So last time I started here, we had about, I got about one third of the way through my notes and things that I had. And so we talked extensively on part one, if you haven't heard that released last week, about mental health. We talked about mental toughness and, and, and intellectual stuff, reading, a little bit about divorce. Um, and then we talked a lot about physical health as well. So dropped a lot of stats on that. And last week, what I thought was enjoyable. If you haven't given me any feedback on that, I really appreciate, you know, a DM or an email about. Uh, yeah, just your thoughts on me reading the conversations that I had with people and I did it anonymously. And tried to be as fair as I could, um, but I think that it was really helpful. I would I would have found it helpful because I always think it's interesting. Even if you just look at the way of like Socrates or St. Thomas Aquinas, some of these people, the way that they write. Philosophy is like hearing the way other people think through things and hearing like deep philosophical conversations, which is why I really loved Socrates and Plato, because Socrates always had his, he taught through conversation mostly, right? And so hearing the way somebody reasons through an issue, how they respond to rebuttals to their point, the questions that they ask, to me is really helpful. I think it's a great way to teach people how to think. And not what to think, but how to think. Right, just like oh, I didn't really think of that, and you can really see that, right, when you're having conversations with people. I I mentioned this last time, like there's just this lack of ability to to philosophize, which is like the verb of philosophy, right? To like to critically think, and you can kind of see when you do have that ability. Like like I said last time before too, like I don't find myself to be incredibly intelligent. I don't think I'm very smart, uh, or that I have like a really high IQ. Right, I don't think I have like a great memory. Um, But I do think I have a decent ability to reason and rationalize things, right? And so that's really, I mean, if you had one skill to hone in on and be good at in life, thinking should probably be it, right? Because most other things like a well-trained monkey can do. And so thinking, like critical thinking, philosophy, reason is what separates us from animals. And so uh, I think it's really important that we like, value that, right? Like value your mind and your brain. Um, And not just your brain. I feel like we think of that in like a very intellectual kind of like book or like study way, but like your ability to think is something that is broad across a lot of different categories, right? So if you listen to the episode, uh, because I believe this is coming out after that one, the, the episode that Emily and I did on Conflict resolution. You remember, there's a part in there where I talk about presenting your brain with a more complex problem, and you can do that financially, like Robert Kiyosaki encourages us to do, to say not not to to not say I can't afford that, but how can I afford that? Um, in a relationship or a difficult conversation, ignore the squeaking of my dog. Uh, she's rowdy this morning. In a difficult conversation, you can say, how can I get my point across and be honest with my friend? And also not offend them or damage the relationship, right? Instead of choosing between one or the other. And so that's what we're going to dive into professional today. And I think that your ability to think and be creative and to actually uh, take in all the the things in an environment, uh, taking all the circumstances of your life, see where you are currently, see where you want to go, and then creatively develop a route to get there is really important. And so the first thing we're talking about today is professional. So we're going to talk about the professional pillar a little bit. And I got some stats on that from Gallup and, and other surveys. And this is a place where that creativity is really needed, right? So like, how can I, like one of the questions I always ask is like, how can I successfully provide for my family or my future family financially and have a job that, that, that I'm passionate about that, that I think serves a greater purpose, right? And so that's a that's a complex question to ask. Not just one or the other, because most people will just settle for one or the other. And to be fair, sometimes God calls people to sacrifice financially for the sake of the work that they're called to. Right? Catholic school teachers are a good example of this. Um, You know, priests don't make a ton of money. There's a lot of other things, right? Uh, Jobs, you know, missionaries, things like that. But for some of us, it exists. I remember somebody like joking with me because I had told them about my jobs post army. I worked at dynamic Catholic, which pays really well. Um, I got offered a job at the Augustine Institute, which was a solid offer. They pay well as well. And then I got my job at Hallow, which pays well. And somebody was like, how do you get all the good paying jobs in the Catholic world? And it's like, well, I look for them, you know, like, I, I mean, like being a focused missionary is cool. It's great. I mean, I would have loved to have done it out of college, but like I wasn't trying to do that as a young person who was looking to get married soon and really wants to devote myself to having a financial future and needed to, you know, buy things and do stuff to be able to, you know, develop seeking excellence and invest my own money into this. So that, that was kind of, that was kind of the thing for me It's like, that was what I was looking for. And that was who I wanted to be from the beginning. So I developed my resume and became the person I did so that I could be appealing to those jobs. Right. I think sometimes people don't recognize the need for that. You have focused missionaries who just take the whole summer off or take the, the, their breaks and stuff like that. Like you could be hustling during that time and developing things that would help make your resume look a little bit stronger. So if you're chilling, I mean, like, yeah, I get like, I'm not saying that being a focused missionary during the school year is not hard or culture project or whatever it might be, but I, I've known people in both of those things who have done a lot, even in their time as a missionary outside of being a missionary to help set them up for success, success when they got out, right? And so I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about. And I see that a lot in the Catholic world when it comes to your jobs and vocation searching, is that people either view it as those two things, right? Like they're mutually exclusive, where you either have to like have no money and do something that matters or have a pointless job where you can make a lot of money. Not pointless, but like, I think that I know people, Catholic people who work at google or apple and like that's that's pointless like you're not working for the greater good of society almost at all i don't i don't mean i i guess like you could say like technology has improved society for sure but i mean there's a lot of negative things coming out of those companies so i think you just have to be mindful of that and like how much purpose do you want to have what what do you want your work to be contributing to in the world your legacy things like that but you can also like create those jobs for yourself. I know people who are making six figures doing church work of some sort or coaching or running different ministries or um, not just ministries, but like how is is a great example of like being creative where you can be financially successful and have a great mission. But a lot of times we don't teach that kind of creativity. And so I see people in the church world really struggle with that. And you want to live, a lot of times people want to live a lifestyle that's above what they actually make which leads to a lot of financial issues and things like that. But I think for a lot of the young Catholics who were raised around money or with money, don't really like understand the planning and effort that goes into being financially successful. (laughs) And it's not easy. It doesn't just happen. Right. So think about that. And we need to start warning our young people about that. Like, sure. It's great to major in theology, but maybe you also major in something else, right? Like it's not bad to have a backup plan. You know, like I always say, like, I wish, I would have changed my major. I was a criminal justice major, which I'm never going to use, which is very common. Right. Um, but I wish I would have majored in, I love philosophy. I love Spanish. If I had done like philosophy and Spanish would have been cool, but wouldn't have been great for like my future career. But I, it turns out I don't really need I, my, my, degree now has not uh, gotten me my last several offers of, of, you know, good financial offers, criminal justice. So it wouldn't matter. If I know it wouldn't matter, then, I would have done something else but for some people they do theology or philosophy then they go and become a youth minister and they're like what's next you know like what can i do next and so you have to be thinking about that especially as a man i think you know i'm a little bit more traditional in that way but i think especially as a man you have to be considering that like if you're going to be providing for your family like maybe you minor in theology and and major in something else right so you can have a little bit more background or you just have to be intentional about your path and things you're doing after school too. I feel like I try to talk about this extensively when talking to, uh, you know, kids in college, when I was with, in college with other kids is what, how are you building your resume? Right. And it actually starts in college the same way. I didn't appreciate that when I was in high school. Like when, when you're in high school, you, you come to realize eventually, if not early on that, You're building your college application and resume from your first day, right? Like from as a freshman, I procrastinated on that very heavily and felt the weight of that when I was a senior and I was applying to colleges and things like that. And so I knew when I got to college, I was like, this is when I'm building my resume. And I was still, I had like, I had a guaranteed job, right? Like I was an Army ROTC. I was pretty sure I was going to have the grades and physical fitness score to go active duty. Uh, it was pretty much guaranteed to me. But I still did a ton of things so I could build out my resume. When I got out of college, when I got out of the Army, my resume at like 25 was bomb, right? It was baller. And so that's how I was getting looked at by these like great Catholic organizations and other jobs too. I got offered when I was getting out of the Army, um, upwards of six figures and things like that, um, which at 25 is pretty solid with no student debt. And so you, you want to be planning for that. And I think we just really underestimate how much we emphasize that for kids, for our young people. And so this is, again, what I talked about last, I think this was in my last episode. I can't remember, man. I've, I've podcasted a ton this week. But I've, I've spoken about, you know, the generations before us, how their pride really ruined a lot of things for us because they weren't willing to openly tell people about the mistakes that they've made. And I've seen this in my family. I've seen this in family friends. Um, I've seen this in the lives of friends and and their their family lives, right, and their experiences. Um, but you you want to be honest with people about your lessons learned. And so that's I mean, that's the whole reason I podcast most of the time, right? Sometimes it's about future things, but a lot of times I'm telling you about my wins and losses over the years, right? Things that I've done, well, things I've done poorly. My mom told me countless times when I was going into high school, how important it was to get involved, get in clubs and do all these other things. And then what did I do for the first two years? Get nothing but 21 detentions get suspended. Uh, start drinking, start smoking weed, like I was just doing everything I shouldn't have doing, been doing. And luckily, for affirmative action, I, I think um, I still got accepted in every school that I applied to, but uh, if it hadn't been for that, I would have really struggled a lot more than I did. Uh, and no, I do not look at that as like a justification for affirmative action of that type. Um, I need to do a podcast talking about affirmative action because so I do think there is a good way to do it, but, Uh, I think the way that most people do it is really wrong. So let's talk about some professional excellence, right? And and first, I want to say that to be excellent at your job, I think you have to be passionate about it and satisfied with it, right? So the stats that I have here from Gallup, 45% of workers, this is all in the United States, 45% of workers are satisfied with their job. Only 20% feel very passionate about their work. And 33%, one third feel like they've reached a dead end in their work. According to Gallup, 31% of workers are engaged and passionate about their job. 14% are actively disengaged and 54% are not engaged. So I always love that. You know, Matthew Kelly would talk about that a lot when we were at Dynamic Catholic of 15% almost of people at work are actively disengaged. That means they're like showing up for a paycheck, right? And like intentionally like doing as much other stuff during work hours as they can. And I can only imagine how much that's increased during the pandemic and working from home because it allows people to do it at such higher rates, right? With such greater ease. So think about that. Um, you don't want to be one of these people. That's, that's the moral of what I'm like, I'm adding up to is that you don't want to be one of these people, right? You want to live a life of passion and purpose, love your work. And sometimes, you know, that can take a huge overhaul and, sh- and shift, Right. And so you need to have like an understanding and understanding and knowledge of yourself to say what would, what would I be passionate about, right? Like I've been kind of joking with Emily a lot lately, um, about like not even joking, like just kind of talking randomly about what would I be doing if I wasn't doing this, like what, like if I wasn't working for Hallow, what would be like my dream job, right? And so one of them one of them I said would be to be like in the secret service or some type of, or ideally like a contractor of some sort where I would be able to like, uh, like legally pursue sex traffickers. Right. But not like legally, like I want to be on the SWAT team. That's like kicking down doors, like busting rings. Right. Doing the investigation, like trying to follow them and all that kind of stuff. Like that would be one of my jams for sure. Um, I think being a lawyer would be another one. I've always uh, had such a, because I love reason and philosophy and all these things and, um, and the law. I think I would have really enjoyed that. Um, and then the other one is uh, real estate, be a real estate investor, real estate agent turn investor would be p- probably my ideal path to go because I'm really passionate about learning about that. And I love that as well. And so the great news is that I could literally still do all three of those. Well, not all of them, but I could do any of the three of those, right? I could also still like do my lifelong dream of running my own ministry or, or company one day uh, with if seeking excellence takes off. And so there's, there's so many options and so many things we could do. And I feel like we get into this like headspace because the generations before us were more stuck for sure because of like pensions and things like that. But now you don't really have that. So your ability to like move uh, laterally or, or just kind of like totally go into a different industry, it's very, very possible. And so this is one of the issues I think we have with sending people to college, like 18, and telling them like, all right, you have two years to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life, and four years to like build your resume, and then get that job that's going to set you up for the rest of your life. It's really dumb. And there's a lot of stats on this, too. Like I said, like I am far from the only person who doesn't work in the, the realm of their college degree. Um, and there's so many people, especially millennials, we switch jobs like crazy, sometimes too much. But we we've proven that you can actually make big career switches and and be very successful and if you read books like i love the book range it's very like seeking excellence focus it actually talks about how people from experience from other places can really come in and add a lot of value in new industries and how many people have been greatly successful in doing that and so i wish i had stats and stuff on that but i don't have a hard copy of it i just have it on audible so i don't really have anything like reference in that, but I do think it's a fun, it's a fun audible book for sure. Definitely a fun audio book. I've listened to it twice now. It's very like seeking excellence focused and talks about the need to like have a wide breadth of experience in order to really be successful in life. And so think about that. So professional obviously leads very easily into financial. So let's talk about some financial stuff, man. This is a hot mess. The median household income, according to the census and six is uh, in the United States is $68,700. That's median household. So that includes like, um, you know, everybody who files their taxes together and, and individually. So that's a lot of like t- two income families and stuff like that as well. Cause so that would be a pretty decent, uh, median, uh, income for an individual. The average student loan debt is $32,731. To me, as somebody who does not have student loan debt, that is mind-blowing to think of how many people are skewing that upwards. For me to have zero and the average to be $32,000. The average credit card debt is $6,270. Auto loan, the average auto loan balance in 2019 was $19,231 compared to $14,973 in 2010, according to Experian. The average house debt, So mortgage income is $213,000. Now just take a moment to like, think about how much debt that is, right? So we're not even talking about what's the average uh, household or like the average net worth, right? We don't talk about that. Um, You know, Dave Ramsey has some great stats on the absurdly high. I think it's like 40% of Americans don't have $1,500 in their savings account. Like for an emergency fund, bro, 1,500 bucks. And then to think, like, so many people don't have... So this, according to Business Insider, 55% of millennials don't have a retirement savings account. Bro, not Gen Z. Like, millennials. millennials, We old, bro. Millennials are not young, man. I'm 28. I'm, like, in the middle of millennials. If that, I might even be on the tail end, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure millennials are, like, late 80s to, to like, 2000. So I guess I'm, I'm, like, right in the middle. I was born in 93. Like all the old OGS were. It was a great year. Jordan's three peat year. So think about that. Fifty five percent of millennials don't have a retirement savings account. So this is why we do the Financial Excellence podcast and talk about all this stuff. And this is why this stuff matters, man. Because like millennials are the closest to the generations before us. Where like you had you had a pension. If you didn't have a pension, you rely on Social Security. So that's literally my two parents, right? So. Um, my mom was a probation officer and like she's going to have retirement from being a probation officer. You still have that existing in a lot of governmental jobs. But back in the day, you used to be able to work for like Ford or, you know, even if you were like a blue collared worker, like you had a pension at the end of your time there, right? You get to watch at retirement um, and then you get the pension for the rest of your life. And sometimes you could even pass it on to a certain extent. And then social security used to be popping, but many people uh, project Social security could end as early as 2037. That is on the social security website. I literally went to socialsecurity.gov and it says that it could end as early as 2037. Son, that's in 15 years. And you're out here without a retirement account. That's like your backup. That's like the backup backup plan. And it's about to be gone. And so if if that should be the backup backup plan and you don't have the plan or the backup plan, you have no plan. That is a massive issue, right? So you want to go ahead and fix that and get a retirement account. Now, if you want to find out how to get a retirement account and how to start setting up with that, listen to our Investing One Hundred and One podcast. Um. Oh my goodness, this dog! She's going absolutely nuts today. Um, but it is my only time to record here before I go to mass. So, uh. Yeah. So listen to our Investing 101 podcast. We're going to be talking about completely how you can go through um setting up a retirement account, like all the basics of that, the importance of it, the possibilities of it, um just kind of creating that that financial offense. It's either coming out right before this series or right after it. So if it hasn't come out yet, uh be on the lookout for that in the next literally like in the next week. Um because that's the next podcast I'm going to record. Um uh, just might be posting it right before this one. Uh, but guys, I mean, listen to that, man. Average student loan debt is credit card debt. And we're just letting people do this. This is where I feel like people were failed by their mentors and their parents, right? If you, if you allow a, a millennial, like if you're the parent of a millennial and they've got 30K in student loan debt, a few grand on credit cards, you know, 15000 to $20,000 on a, a car loan, and no retirement savings like you failed them like they're 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 they were raised really really poorly because this is the stuff this is what parenthood is about is you're training them to be adults like that everybody gets that but they get, we get so focused on like education in this country and like getting a good good grade in algebra so that you can get into a good college and make your parents proud like that that you get out of that you do all of those things and you wind up like this with, with, with $50,000 in debt and no savings, another 13% of millennials, according to Business Insider, have a retirement account, but are not actively contributing to it. That means 32% of us, that's less than a third of millennials are actively contributing to a retirement account. That's hot trash. That is hot, 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 hot trash. The average millennial has $27,251 in non-mortgage debt. Dog, what? Can you, like, think about that, man. To have no, that means your net worth is negative. Let's say you have $2,000 in your checking account. That's negative $25,000 in net worth. As a millennial, this isn't like, as a 20-year-old, like, this is a 30-year-old. Then you want to buy a house and you want to buy a new car. and That's why I see all these people, man. I see these I see, I've seen it. I've watched millennials do this for the last six years since we graduated from college. Almost seven years now. It's been six and a half years. Damn, I'm getting old, baby. But I've watched them, people who are living at home who instead of investing and in going to buy a house or you know paying off all of their debt, people living at home paying off student loan debt who buy a Mercedes-Benz when we were 24, 25 people who I know make less money than me buying cars that are nicer than me and they have student loan debt. My friends, I'm like, dog, what are you doing? I have friends getting out of college that immediately you know, bought a house, bought two cars, they got married, bought two cars, they had, both had student loan debt. One started grad school and dropped out and got more loan debt without the degree. And it's like, what are you doing? And, and what blows my mind what blows my mind the most about this is how many of these people who do things like this have no desire to read a book, to do a masterclass, to watch a uh, you know, YouTube channel consistently, uh, listen to a podcast consistently that'll help them to unf their financial situation. And to me, like the reason why I get so worked up about it is, is, is there's a few reasons. One is because I feel like parents have failed people. And that is really frustrating to me. Two is I think that uh, it's going to be really, really tragic for a lot of people in my generation when we get to the future and there's no financial savings. And three, what's going to happen then is you're going to be even more susceptible to bullshit like socialism because you fail to actually take advantage of the American system. There's some absurd stat. I think it's like 70% of millionaires. It might even be higher than that are, are first-generation millionaires, people that have, have come from... They did not inherit their wealth. Let's put it that way. And we don't like that stat because, because... Well, Democrats want to keep you thinking that the only way to be successful is if the government gives you enough handouts and helps you enough that you can be successful. But we have individual choice and personal freedoms, and you actually... There's proven ways if you listen to Dave Ramsey or Grant Cardone or Robert Kiyosaki or any any number of people, right? Bigger Pockets podcast, where you can be very financially successful in the United States of America if you make the right decisions, the right lifestyle choices. Obviously, there's people who are are victims to uh, heavy heavy medical bills, uh, misfortune, a lot of other things, but not for the majority of us. The majority of us face like a normal amount of adversity. And facing a normal amount of adversity in America in 2021, literally the peak of like human civilization, you can be successful. You can definitely be successful. So, like, so do it, right? Like, so, so, like, do it. So take these stats to heart, man, and like start to learn about this. Like, it's not that complicated. And that it's one of the things that I found difficult about my past at times is seeing people who are friends or family members or close family members, like, siblings, like extended family, who I'm like, so many of your life issues and problems could have been solved if you were just like more curious and more dedicated to finding a solution. But so many people are not, right? And, and you might find yourself in that boat. And I'm telling you, you know, the, the old mission statement of seeking excellence used to, used to talk about the, the age old question. I used to bring this up when I was in college a lot, when I was giving talks, the age-old, not, not question, but uh, saying we hear from a lot of regretful older people is, I wish I knew then what I know now, right? And the reality is, for us, we're almost not going to be able to say that because you would have been able to know that. Like sometimes with that statement, there's like this, this almost like victim mentality of like, I wish somebody would have taught me that when I was in high school. You see that all the time, right? This is the stuff we should have learned in high school, bro. Do you remember anything you learned in high school? Cause I don't, I, I mean, not much, at least like I have a general understanding of history from high school, learned some stuff about the faith from high school, but not a ton. You know, like, I, I mean, I was cheating in class. I was doing all kinds of other stuff. I wasn't paying attention. And not only that, but like, what did you learn in college? Like, do you, you really like feel like you internalized a lot of the stuff you learned in those 16 years of education? Because you can walk the streets. I, 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 you know, just recently watched a, a, a YouTube video where you ask people, how many stars are on the flag can you name? How many U.S. presidents can you name? Like all this other stuff that like you definitely were taught. I have conversations all the time with people out here in Colorado who have like no clue, just like I didn't about the West, who have no clue about the East Coast. You know, they, I tell them I'm from Pennsylvania and I'm a Yankees fan. And they're like, what? You're a Yankees fan? Like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, dog, I was three hours from New York. If I'd have said I was a Steelers fan, you would have or a Pittsburgh fan, you would have been like, Oh yeah, of course. And it's like, that's further away from me than New York city was. And people like are like, oh, really? It's that close. How close is Boston? Four hours. And it's like, no dude, like 12. Like they just like, don't have any idea of geography. You learn geography in fourth grade. At least I did, you know, in fourth grade we did, but yeah, there's all this like, this is like, you, you know, you, you offload it to everybody else. Like educate yourself, man. Like I got it. You're like your parents might have failed you in educating you about these things, your school system might have. But what? But like, but you failed yourself the most. If you're in your 20s, from the time you're 20 till you're 30, if you did not learn anything about these seven pillars of excellence, if you didn't learn anything about conflict resolution, mental toughness, mental health, financial uh, stewardship, your spiritual life, your faith. Um, what else? Uh, professional stuff, leadership, social issues, like that's your fault. If you're just taking like what kind of passively comes your way, like you're going to be an idiot. By the time you're 30, you're likely going to end up divorced, in mad debt, and living a very unfulfilled professional life. And and why would you want that? When you have the solution, you have the freedom, the ability, the intellectual capacity to learn about these things and to change your own life. So do it, man. Do it, woman. Like, just just change your life, man. I don't understand. Like, it it just drives me nuts. And this is why people get so susceptible to socialism. Not because people warned them before they went to college that, yo, having 40, 75K in student loan debt is going to really suck at age 23. Nobody told him that. So that's why they're Bernie bros. He's going to pay off my student loan debt. When? Show me. Like, when is Joe Biden going to do that? I love seeing every time he posts on Instagram, because I follow him, it talks about uh, in, the, in the comments, especially Kamala. Kamala gets torn up for this, which I don't know how it's Kamala's fault. Um, and I don't like her at all. But I'm like, y'all should be bad at Joe for this, man. Um, but every time in the comments, they're like, oh, but what about student loan? Every time he posts about something new, it's like there's 80% of the comments are like, forgive our student loan debt. It's like, yo, he's not going to do that. You, you, can't just, you can't just do that, man. Like, this is like the classic like socialist promises when they're running in campaigns of all this free stuff they're going to give you and then they don't. You know what I'm saying? It's like that's the classic move. And what I love is all the people who are like former Biden supporters now who are like Bernie bros. And they're like, we needed Bernie. It's like, dog, he's doing the radical left's plan. Like Kamala Harris is further left than Bernie was. Like, she was the most left-voting senator in the Senate when she was a senator. And Biden has become radical since he got elected. He was supposed to be this moderate president. He's been nothing but radical. What what would Bernie be doing different? You just had this, like, fantasy that Bernie would have been the same. Bernie would have forgiven the suit. No, he wouldn't have. Because it's a stupid idea. You can't do it. What we need to do is stop start warning young people that, hey, maybe, maybe community college for two years is a good idea for you. Maybe you should just work for a couple of years so you can figure out what you want to do. Being in college at 24 is not the end of the world. You can go later. You can save up money first. You can, you know, f- figure out your life a little bit and what you might want to do so that you don't spend 80,000 on a degree you're not going to use. Because I, I don't feel any type of way about not using my degree because I didn't pay for it. The U.S. Army did. And in return, I gave four years of service, and I'm still in the inactive reserves. And so, that was the deal that I made. And everybody gets to make their own deal. And some of y'all took trash deals, and now you want everybody else to pay you, bail, uh, bail you out of it. And I don't, I don't fully understand that personally. So, take some ownership of your life and, and start moving in the right direction. Now, let's talk about. Some social issues. So obviously, I'm a Catholic man. This is a Catholic podcast. I encourage, you know, Protestants to, to join us in this battle and fight for excellence as well. So I don't try to be too exclusionary. Um, I don't know if that's a word. I think it is, though, of, of the Protestants. I know I start off the year kind of hot attacking you guys, um, calling you heretics and stuff like that. So I apologize for that if that was offensive. But all, all that to say that I'm about to drop some stats of catholics and their views on social issues <clears throat> i don't know why i had to have that whole precursor there but i did it just sent it um but all that to say that my brothers and sisters you you guys are welcome here you're welcome i might disagree with you on some things and point that out i'm not afraid to say that but i do think we need to unify and fight against a lot of this bs that's happening in our world and you know i love a lot of Protestant writers and authors and thinkers i reference dave ramsey all the time um i love john maxwell and a lot of others um, John Eldridge and stuff like that. So very grateful. And if if you if you're looking for a pick-me-up Protestants after I, after I dogged you for the first two solo episodes of the year, um, yeah, go check out what Protestants do best. Cause I feel like I really I, in that podcast I released back in like November. Um, I feel like I really gave you a lot of love. So try to build you up and then tear you down. The opposite of the US Army basic training approach. So the social pillar of excellence, anyways. Oh, my gosh. So this one, I thought I was worked up before just talking about money, and now this one's going to give me extra worked up. This might have to be a three-part series. (laughs) This is pretty funny. So the social pillar of excellence. 36% of practicing Catholics consider themselves pro-choice. 36%. That's over one in every three people that you see in Mass on Sunday who consider themselves pro-choice. Now, think about this. That's, that's 36% of practicing Catholics. 36% of practicing Catholics. So that's, that's, that's over one in every three people we see in the pews on Sunday. On Sunday morning, one in every three, pro-choice. 65% of non-practicing Catholics consider themselves pro-choice. Think how wild that is. That's two out of every three people who will tell you that they're Catholic will also tell you that they're pro-choice. They'll tell you that they're Catholic that don't go to mass. but they'll, they'll, these are the people uh, these are the people that used to frustrate me beyond beyond all belief. like i can't I can't explain to you uh. I can't explain to you how frustrating it used to make me when I was in college, when people would go around saying that they were Catholic and, and sharing all types of like non-Catholic beliefs, not going to mass, things like that, right? And I still get frustrated in different areas of my life now when I see that happen, because this is why, is because I think a lot of Protestants are not Catholic because of the bad example that Catholics set. I think a lot of non-practicing Catholics remain non-practicing Catholics because of the example that practicing Catholics set right and and we kind of like created this the, the the one of the biggest challenges of catholicism is the same thing that you see with jews today is it's become it's become largely cultural and not religious and so like you hear all these young catholics i think these are some of the the most ignorant i was gonna say dumbest um ignorant misinformed foolish people in the world are those who will like brag about how much their grandmother used to go to mass and how they used to be an altar server um but having on the mass on their own volition outside of christmas and easter in three years have been confession in 10 like there is almost this like belief amongst a lot of catholics that like salvation is hereditary or uh can be passed down through generations right like it's like grandma got us a pass you see a lot of men do this too, right? It's like my wife goes to mass all the time. It's like, you're a trash Catholic. <laughs> and that's a problem, right? Like for the long term. And obviously, I use like these harsh terms and stuff like that. Part of it's because I'd like to be funny and somewhat lighthearted, but like also, like it's true. Um, but also like this this stuff matters, people. Like we want people to go to heaven, right? Like part of part of the desire to go to heaven is not just for you to go, but for the people in your life to go too. And so when you see people who talk about this stuff, like, it's almost so mind-blowing that it can be hard to, like, interject, but we have to, like, speak up and tell these people, like, like, do you know the gospel story? Like, do you know that, like, your decisions matter, not just your grandmothers? I'll never forget having a a friend of mine mine in college telling how Catholic he was to me because he was an altar server, and his grandma went went to Mass every day. And both of my grandmothers went to Mass zero times because neither of them were Catholic, and I was not an altar server because I converted as a teenager. And so I was like, really? And this is a man who did not go to mass while we were in college. And I was going to daily mass and the chapel all the time, like growing in my faith. And I was like, really, you're more Catholic than me. Is that how this works? But there's a lot of people who still believe that. It's, it's hit a lot of European countries the hardest. You know, you're Italians and Irish who used to be like staunchly Catholic. As a, as a uh, biracial, really, like I could just consider myself a black Catholic, really. But not in the way that a lot of people consider Black Catholics, Black Catholics, I guess I should say. I consider myself Black and Catholic. Um, I am Black and Catholic. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. But my, my point is that it can be really frustrating with all these people who will like, act like because you're Irish or Italian, you're like more Catholic when you're not Irish and Italian. That's what I'm trying to say. It can be very frustrating because you see that a lot of Irish and Italians, oh, yeah, we're a big Irish Catholic family or a great Irish Catholic family. And it's like, you guys don't go to mass. (laughs) Where do you get this from? There's like this, you know, like there's like tattoos of the rosary or there's like rosaries in the car. You know, you get the kids baptized. Maybe you get married in the church. Maybe you don't, but uh, you know, grandma's praying the rosary. And it's like, that doesn't make your family like a great Catholic family. So many of the great Catholic families that I've come to meet in my life are not Irish and Italians. Most of them are, I think, when I think about it. Most of them are not. And so it's like, that's a problem, right? And now you're starting, it's starting to hit more and more of the Hispanic communities, right? The South Americans and, and South American countries, Central American countries, um, Mexico, where a lot of their families that are emigrating from Mexico are coming here and they're, they're losing their faith in the US because the US is not a breeding ground for uh, strong faith. We're quite the opposite. We're a breeding ground for spirituality and universalism and humanism and progressivism and all that kind of bs but we're not a breeding ground for great faith and great saints and so we're seeing the same things happen with them but it was kind of similar what happened when the italians and the irish immigrated over here but now ireland is one of the like most secular terror like i mean ireland is is wildly lost in a lot of ways since they've lost their faith they really need another saint patrick at this point um it's crazy there's some wild stats of how ireland's changed over the years of their stance on abortion same-sex marriage all that kind of stuff is in one or two generations has just become radically different and we're not far behind them 59 percent of catholics supported same-sex marriage from 2011 to 2015 when it was kind of in like the heat of its ratification and it rose to 69 percent since 2016 now, this is the craziest one to me. It has been higher than the national average for adults by 5 to 7% since 2006. So that means when you polled national adults and asked how many of them supported same-sex marriage, and then you polled Catholics since 2006, the last 15, 16 years, we've been 5% to 7% higher than the national just general adult survey. That is mind-blowing. More people say that they have left Catholicism to become unaffiliated because of teachings on abortion, homosexuality, divorce and the clergy sex scandal. Then the clergy sex scandal. Let me say that again, because I kind of butchered that, I apologize. So when it comes to people leaving Catholicism to become unaffiliated, right? So these are people that are becoming the nuts, no religious affiliation, right? More people have left Catholicism because of abortion homosexuality, and divorce, those three teachings then the clergy sex abuse scandal. 56% have left because of the church's teachings on homosexuality. 33% have left because the church's teachings on uh, divorce. Wait, no, these numbers don't add up. Oh, that's out of the numbers that have left to become unaffiliated the clergy sex abuse scandal was 27%. So more people ha- are leaving because the church's teachings on same-sex marriage, abortion and divorce than the clergy sex abuse scandal. So that's what's crazy about this. Is I even find myself falling into this trap sometimes is like you see all these stats about the decline right in church attendance, the decline in uh baptisms, the decline in catholic weddings, all these different things. And it's easy to be like, yeah, it's like the the sex abuse scandal, right? Like that's what did this. But then you read stats like this and it's like more people are leaving because of abortion, homosexuality, and divorce. Like the clergy sex abuse scandal was the fourth highest reason. So that has to mean that the preaching, the formation, the living out of the faith is really our bigger issue almost more than the sex abuse scandal was. As far as how it's impacting church attendance and church retention, now that's a pretty massive issue. Because that's, that's the preaching, right? That's the, the authenticity of, of, of Catholicism. That's us you know, living out our faith fully and showing people that like this is the truth, and living by the truth is worth it. So we live in this world now that simply does not value the truth, and we want to form God and form reality to, to be of our liking. And the more and more that the church caves to that, and we pretend to fall into that, the worst things get, because one of the responses that you see from like New Ways Ministry and Father James Martin is, well, let's just ease up on the abortion stuff. Let's talk about it less. Let's, let's be much more open to same-sex life, attracted lifestyles and same-sex couples. Let's go easier on divorce. And I think the answer is the opposite. Not that we'd be harder on people who have had abortions, not that we'd be harder on people who are experiencing same-sex attraction, but just that we'd be more devoted to standing for the truth and who we are because we've always believed this, I think that these numbers have actually gotten worse as we've become more easy on these things. Once you start to get into that world where it's kind of like, eh, yeah, like you can be pro-choice to be here, then why be here? Because people know that that's not true. If you can bend on, on being, you know, the sanctity of life and still receive communion, what's the point of receiving communion? If you can, like, how do I know you're not wrong about that? If you're willing to cave in and bend your belief on marriage, on traditional marriage, differ from what Jesus says in the gospel about man and woman, he created them. On what he says about divorce from the beginning, it was not so. Moses allows you to divorce each other because your hearts were hard. If we can change the words of Jesus, then what, what's to say that the true presence is real? Are we surprised? that we have 36% of practicing catholics consider themselves pro choice and 70% of catholics practicing catholics don't believe in the true presence of the eucharist are we surprised by that like these numbers they add up and this is this is getting to the root of the issue is that we're not teaching the catholic faith and we're not living it out properly and showing people that living differently committing and dedicating yourself to the truth is actually the way to succeed and be happy fulfilled joyful and to reach eternal salvation, so you see the increase in all of this stuff, right? And if you listen to part one, this is this is kind of bringing it home to that of the increase in the mental health issues. You see the increase in, of Catholics and Christians supporting more and more progressive ideas. More and more Catholics leaving the church for these progressive ideas. When you see that, that's that's how you see that these things are correlated. Catholics are becoming more progressive, and uh, and leaving the church in higher numbers and the national suicides going up, anxiety depression, all these things are going up, household debt, all these like nothing is going well, so that's like the point of this series um that is gonna end up being three parts now as I'll get into the spiritual one last and talk about Catholic mediocrity uh this this is this is where all like this is what average would look like, right and so I'll kind of summarize it totally in the next episode, but this is what average looks like today. And so you start to see how these things are very, very correlated, how you can really be mediocre in all these different areas and what your life would look like if you did that. And it's tragic, guys. You don't want to live a life like this, right? It's depressing. But this is why we have the social pillar. This, this is the reason why the social pillar exists in Seeking Excellence, because this is, like, these are the stats that support of what I, what I talked about when I kind of theorized of, man, you know, if you listen to my episode of like, why am I conservative? I talked about how I became more orthodox as I became more conservative. And I found that the people who are orthodox in the Catholic faith and were not living together before marriage, were not on birth control, we're not pro-choice or same, you know, pro-same-sex attraction or weren't divorced, how they were oftentimes much more orthodox in their faith. And I also saw that all the people who in high school who were leading my retreats and doing all these other things are the ones arguing with me now about abortion or about trans issues and things like that. And I saw this correlation between the two. Like, this is the, these are the stats that support it, right? To say that more people have left Catholicism and become unaffiliated because of teachings on abortion, sexuality, and divorce. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Then the clergy sex abuse scandal. Like, those are the issues that are taking people away. So how can we not be more outspoken about being pro-life? How can we not be more outspoken about standing for a traditional marriage and standing against divorce? How can we not study relationships and things like that more... So we don't end up divorced, right? Study the wisdom of relationships, how to have a strong marriage. How do we not make the time to pray so that we can have a strong marriage and be a holy couple? This is the type of stuff we need to start thinking about because these are the things that are, we're losing souls around in these areas. And so I want to encourage you today, if you haven't checked us out on YouTube, please do. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. Leave us a review. Sign up for our newsletter at thosewhoseek.org. I want to encourage you as well to sign up uh, for Canopy, Um, If you're struggling with pornography, because pornography is another great enemy of excellence, uh, terrible enemy of excellence, excuse me, um, but a massive one. And so Canopy is a great service that'll help you to uh, block out and um, remove pornographic things from your phone. So I did a great podcast episode with Sean Clifford from Canopy. He's the CEO. um, And it's kind of like Covenant Eyes, but Covenant Eyes on steroids, Um, And so we talk about exactly what Canopy is in that episode. But I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with that, if you know somebody who is struggling with pornography, encourage them to sign up for Canopy. I'll put the link in the show notes here today. Um, But check that out for sure. And I hope you continue to fight hard. Say a prayer for us today and strive to be your best. God bless.